0: Well, good morning. Uh, warm welcome to C-Legal, uh, live streaming from Canberra. Uh, this is the, the second time we've done it in Canberra. I don't know if you know, uh, but on the 20th of March, we did it for the first time. And uh, it's been a long, long four months, but we we're very happy to be back. And uh, so it was a chilly minus two here this morning. I had ice on my windscreen. I think the locals tell me that that's sort of, that's, you know, what am I complaining about? But it feels absolutely freezing. But it's so nice that you can be with us. Uh, the, the Hotel Curridrong, uh, who uh, is um, uh, looking after us today, have asked that everyone who's here just sign in with the QR code. If you don't know how to use the QR code reader on your phone, just text a teenager and they'll help you. Or if you go to the reception, they'll, uh, they're going to help you out. Now, there'll be a number of us uh, who will be joining online, and we want to welcome you as well, whether you're at a, at a small watch party um, or in a cafe or in a boardroom somewhere. Uh, welcome to you as well we want to stand with you at this time my name is peter wrench and uh, city legal is a community that exists to consider the bigger questions of life uh, with silks and suits in cities right around australia and we do that by looking at the bible together and the format if you're if you're new amongst us a special welcome to you is a brief talk followed by a a q a now we're incredibly privileged to have speaking for us again uh, david robertson um and uh, i remember the last time he was here he answered 15 incredibly difficult questions in 15 minutes. So he's very good at Q&A. And, um, and by the way, later on, if you want to ask a question, you can see um, there's a phone number there. You can text them in. It's on your screens uh, if you're at home. Uh, or you can actually come up to the microphone because I think people, uh, that, that you you give better answers if people come up. Is that right, David? Well, let, let's get David up and I'll get, it, get him warmed up, ask him a couple of questions. Please welcome David Robertson. Um, now, David, I believe that you were mistaken for a pest controller the other day. Do you want to just tell us about that? Yeah.
1: Um, I have a, a blog called The We Flea for various reasons I won't go into. And uh, my wife phoned me up. Uh, she couldn't stop laughing. Um, I had a guy coming in and fixing some stuff in our house because I am definitely not a tradey. I wish I was. I have no practical skill whatsoever in anything. And um, I should have been a lawyer, really. Um, <laughs> and I, I, uh, I um, uh, have this thing called the Weefly and I, I'd written this guy, and he'd he he saw, oh, that's this boy, this guy's got a website. Uh, he must be a pest controller, because I'm the we, the, the, the and he thought, I know all the pest controllers in in North Sydney. I, this, this boy must be new on the scene. I'm I better check him out. And he told my wife, three hours later, I was still reading all this stuff about Jesus and politics and everything else. He said, he said I just thought it was brilliant. So. Okay.
0: All right. Now, David, you're a national communicator with City Bible Forum. You've been here for about a year. And yeah. since you've come, you know, we've had fires, we've had floods, we've had pestilence, we've had plague. Yeah. Is there some sort of connection with you? you know, oh,
1: what's... totally. Uh, my middle name is Jonah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, or Jeremiah, no. just throw me up to the gods of vengeance. You know, send me down to Melbourne to to be sacrificed by Chairman Dan. I'm I'm very happy uh, to do that for you. Uh, it's yeah, it's amazing. In fact, I was speaking at a, a, a city legal fellowship in. Um, Sydney, and I mentioned, I mentioned this, and I said, what's next, a plague of rats? And uh, somebody said to me, where do you live? I, said, you know, I live in our retirement. And they said, well, I've got bad news for you. Officially, there's a plague of rats in our tarman. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought I give up. What's next war with China? And then I read in the newspaper yesterday that Australian Navy ships and Chinese warships, how do we stand off? So you, know, you, you name it, I'll, I'll prophesy doom and gloom for you, and I'll probably be right.
0: Okay, well, you might be getting some questions about that, David. Well, thank you very much. David's going to come and speak to us in a few moments. But he's actually asked that a, a small section from a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the small group of Christians living in Rome, it's called The Letter to the Romans, be read for us before uh, he speaks. And I'm going to ask Joseph Pham from uh, DFAT to come up, and uh, he's going he's to read that for us. You can find it on the handouts uh, in front of you or on the screen. Thanks, Joseph. You'd like to come up.
2: Thanks, Peter. We turn to Romans chapter 7, verses 7 to 13. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Okay.
1: Now I need to ask Peter. um, 15 minutes? Okay. (laughs) 15 minutes, okay. Because it's like doing the impossible, because I'm wanting to look at something that's absolutely massive and hugely important. Um, and that's the, the whole question of what is the point of the law. So by definition, um, I'm th- this is uh, there's going to be lots of stuff that you just say, well, wait a minute, what about this? What about this? What about this? And my purpose is to aim, aim to get you to reflect. I think most of you uh, will be involved in law at some point. Um, I actually think that in our society and culture, we do not Um, reflect upon a lot of things sometimes we just assume and um, I know very little about the law um, except I do know that Australia is probably the most bureaucratic country I've ever lived in but I've not been in North Korea but um, it's, it's the law is hugely hugely important and it disturbs me a little bit that in Western society we are Uh, underestimating the value of the law as a moral thing as well. So, we're going to think about that a bit. Um, I want to read to you something from uh, a book that's 200 years old, uh, written after the French Revolution in the middle of the 19th century by a Dutch historian uh, called van Prinsterer. It's called Unbelief in Revolution. He says this, I've been finding this fascinating. The principles of constitutional law had been distorted. Authority had been confused with absolutism and liberty with lawlessness. Constitutions had been debased, morals had been corrupted, and religion with most people had become either hypocrisy or superstition or dead form. Surely the collapse of an edifice thus undermines, thus, un- thus undermined is inevitable. Um, my view is without being too grandiose that if we lose, our concept of law and what it is based on, ultimately we're going to lose our civilization. And I think that what uh, Van Prense wrote was hugely important. So bizarrely enough, if you're a lawyer, I actually think you are at the very forefront of um, Western uh, civilization and not just Western, I I would say in, in, in other aspects as well. The rule of law is the mark of a civilized society. Now we all live by laws. Uh, we all live under the law and there are different laws. Um, I think, for example, what do you do when we've got this current pandemic? Um, do you say to people, be a good neighbor, do what you can, wear a mask if you're in a, a crowded environment? And if you, do you take the Swedish approach, if you like, which is to say, we trust people to be good citizens? Or do you take what's happened in Melbourne just now Every single person must wear a mask, whatever, you know, and then you're going to get all different what is a mask, what is not a mask, is this a, you know, and so on. Can you use law for absolute, we all live under laws, what is right and what is wrong. When I drive uh, back to Sydney, I will hopefully be obeying every single law on the way. I'm sure as an ignorant foreigner, I will break some of them. Uh, I hope not. In terms of law, there's the law of the state, there's the law, if you like, within your own household. Uh, I remember teaching my son at some point there's some basic laws in this house uh, and you just don't ever break them. There are some other um, peripheral laws that we can negotiate uh, and you will learn your skills in in, in that way. But every society has laws. You play uh, a sport, it has laws, it has rules. There are rules even within the context of where we are uh, just now. There is uh, a law of at work, you know, every company has principles, rules, various other things. There's a law as well within our heart. There's a conscience, a sense of right and wrong. I think it is a, a fundamental error to assume that human beings do not have an innate awareness of right and wrong. With the exception of very few people, everyone does have that. Now, in a, from, we read from the book of Romans, Paul in Romans says, look, um, the Jews have the law that comes... God's law written down in in the moral law of the Old Testament and so on at that point. But he said, actually, the Gentiles have the law as well because the law of God is fundamentally written on people's hearts. And it's extremely interesting that in every culture in the world, there are differences, but basic principles effectively um, remain the same. In terms of what our laws are based upon, uh, there is... uh, I'm, I'm, there's one or two people here, I believe, of Greek heritage and the Greeks and the Scots are remarkably similar because we both claim everything good in the world. And we both claim that the English and the Turks were bad for everything bad. But um, uh, it's, it's, you know, uh, as a Scot, I basically claim that, you know, everything good came from us. Um, I once did a talk to some Americans and, Uh, said to them, what did the Scots invent? We invented television and the road and the tire and medicine and uh, law and everything else. And what did the Americans invent? String cheese and the nuclear bomb. And uh, they weren't very pleased. But we claim to have invented, or at least some principles of basic law in terms of democracy, particularly a guy called Samuel Rutherford, who was very influential in the American constitution and who wrote a book called, Lex Rex. It's just simply, Latin's a great language to use. It's why so much legal language is in Latin, because it's very precise. Rex Lex Lex Rex means the law is king. Change the words rounds, Rex Lex, and it means the king is the law. And that was a fundamental battle that was fought in the United Kingdom, um, with Magna Carta many other things. And the idea of the law being king is hugely important. I would say in legal terms, if the king is the law, and in this sense, we mean Um, If parliament is the law, then if you are in power, you can change the law to be whatever it is. And in a a constitutional democracy, that is a fundamental error. That works, inverted commas, in in China and North Korea. It cannot work if you're going to have um, liberty. So the idea of the law is, well, where does that law come from? If it doesn't come from the elites, if it doesn't come from the rich and powerful, And that's an idea also in terms of morality. Without an absolute lawgiver, you cannot have absolute laws or or even derived laws, because our laws are essentially derived laws. Now, in the passage we read, Paul was speaking about law, and he was talking about our need to be freed from it, need uh, need to serve in the new way of the Spirit. And he's using law. And by the way, it's an important principle in understanding the Bible that words sometimes get used in in different with different meanings in different contexts again you know this context is absolutely everything the bible does actually say there is no god but the context is psalm 14 verse 1 the first bit is the fool says in his heart there is no god so technically you're right to say the bible says there is no god but get context context here is hugely important because what he's basically saying is the law that was given through moses which did at that time involve the civil law. It was divided into ceremonial, civil, and moral, but it was the civil authorities who imposed that law. Ultimately, what Paul is teaching here was incredibly radical. He said, you can obey this law all that you want, but you can't. You will never, ever make it. The law does not make people good. I think, by the way, as a general principle in jurisprudence, I think it's important to realize that. You can't You can't make a law that says people should love. You can't make a law that makes people good. What does the law do? Well, if there were no laws, then most of you here would be out of a job. Um, But then no one would break the law, would they? If there's no law, so just take the simple illustration of driving back to Sydney. If there's no law on speed limit, I can't break the speed limits. But who really wants to live in a society with anarchy? That's absolutely impossible. In fact, it, it is. I, I would describe it as hell. Is the law, says Paul, the cause of sin and death? In other words, is it a bit like there's a bench outside there and you go out and you're no interest in that bench at all until you see the sign on it that says, do not touch fresh paint. How many people are going to be, because of the law, are going to say, you know, I, want, I, want, I want to try this? Um, sometimes making laws... There are those of us who are of such a temperament that we just immediately want to break them just to see what happens. Um, But if there was no law, we wouldn't feel guilty, would we? We'd be better off without law. Couldn't we just all be free and do whatever we want? And that's a bizarre thing within Western society. The thing that's going to destroy us more than anything else is the idea of absolute individual autonomy. I make my own laws. You do that, you live in absolute anarchy. Paul's saying what the law does, and in this sense, he's speaking about the biblical law for the the Jewish people, but not just for the Jewish people. He's also talking about the law within. It makes us feel guilty. It makes us aware of what is right and what is wrong. Romans 3.20, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And again, you just see that. You, you see that with the, the speeding thing, of course. If I don't know, I remember once I was driving in Mississippi and I got something wrong in terms of the local laws and the police pulled you over. And I mean, I'd seen all the movies, Mississippi Burning and everything. I was so thankful that uh, I wasn't what they now call a person of color. And, uh, and, and uh, this guy leaned over at me, where are you from, boy? And I thought, oh, I've seen, oh don't shoot me, sir, please. You know, I had all the stereotypes. And he, looked, he says, you're not from around here, are you, son? And I said, uh, no, I'm not from around here. I'm from Scotland. And uh, his Sarge is, let him go, let him go. He's Scottish. Um, the ignorance uh, obviously works in, in, in some ways. But if you know the law, you cannot claim ignorance. And so I think Paul is saying here, God gives us his law to teach us, to help guide us, to help us understand. Because in, innately, although we have an awareness of law, um, Sometimes we go against our own consciences. Another interesting thing he says here, which I don't have time to go into, he says the law actually provokes sin. And I mentioned that in terms of certain things, that if the law says don't do it, it can create a desire within us to actually do it. St. Augustine has a famous story of how he, uh, as, a, as a boy, he, he meditated on this. It really affected him, this childhood memory, how he went into a, a pear orchard and stole some pears. And he said, I did not do it because I was hungry. But my desire was to enjoy not what I sought by stealing, but merely the excitement of thieving and the doing of what was wrong. It is natural for human beings to want things. When it's brought to our attention that certain, certain things we want are forbidden, then by, by the law, there's a tendency to want them all the more, to set their hearts on them. And incidentally, one of the purposes of the law is to show something which. Again, in much of a modern society, people deny, and that is the existence of what the Bible calls sin, what I would call personal evil, um, wrongdoing, or whatever you want to, to, to cause it. I mean, I don't know if in a court you've ever actually argued that something was just evil, but there are things that are evil and that are, uh, are wicked, and um, the Bible's teaching is some of that exists within every one of us. The law doesn't cause sin... It's not to blame, it's holy and righteous and good. I am the Lord, and Paul quotes this in Romans 10 from Leviticus, who brought you out by Egypt to be your God, therefore be holy because I am holy. The law exposes sin, and the law uh, challenges us. And it leaves us with a problem that says, okay. So it's as though we're in a court and we end up being found, "You're You're you're guilty. You're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. And um, how, do you, how do you cope with guilt? I mean, did you just say, oh, forget it? Walk free? You can't walk free. It doesn't, that's not how life is. That's not how we are. We are moral, sentient beings. And so we need to be freed from our guilt. And basically, that's the whole purpose of what the Christian gospel is about. Now, um, that, the idea of... Uh, The law of the state, the idea of moral laws, the idea of laws within society, and the idea of a law of God which we can break without breaking the legal. So, so for example, um, it would not be illegal for me to commit adultery. I could have invited someone into my room last night. I didn't, by the way, (laughs) but I could have. And I wouldn't have broken the law of Canberra or the law of Australia, but I would have broken God's law. And that ultimately ends up being a whole lot more serious. Uh, Sometimes you end up actually having to break the law of the state in order to keep the law of God. Um, And I think of that in terms of major things. So, for example, during the Second World War, when the uh, Dutch uh, family, the Tenbaums, Corrie Tenbaum, when they hid Jews in their attic in Harlem, they were breaking the law. They would be, and they were found guilty and, and actually executed for it, but they were right to break the law. There are times when it is right to break the law, but you, only, you have to have an awareness of a higher law, which is not yourself. So all those principles come in. So fundamentally, where I come back and I look at this, I, I want to say, I want to live in a society where there is law. I want myself to keep the law. I want the law to be just and good, not wrong and as the Bible says, holy. I myself need to keep the law, but I know that I can't save myself by the law. I need more than the law, and that is, of course, um, where Jesus Christ comes in. But all these things get very, very much intertwined. So I'm going to leave you with another quote from my Dutch um, historian, theologian, and he says this, The ideas of liberty, toleration, and so on, magic words with which men thought to summon up the perfection of wisdom and happiness. Now, you can say the buzzwords of our society, equality, diversity, and so on. My argument, by the way, is those are fundamentally Christian words, and that our society has taken them, debaptized them, and turned them into the very opposite of what they actually mean. But these buzzwords are used all the time. And again, I think in law, by the way, (laughs) words have to have precise meanings. Or, or you end up just incredibly confused. And, but I think this is right. The idea that these magic words were for, forever trumpeted forth, yet they remained mere sounds. Love is love is meaningless if you don't know what love is. It's just meaningless. It's just a phrase. It's just a slogan. It's just a meme. And not only were the promises not redeemed, their very opposites arrived. For justice, there came injustice. For liberty, compulsion. For toleration, persecution. For humanity, barbarity and for morality decadence it is my view personally that within five this is the route america is on it's the route that the uk is on i think to some degree Um, it's a route that i believe australia is on but you're much further back down the road thankfully but unless this is sorted the direction that we are going this is where this uh, country and our society will be headed for justice, injustice, for liberty, compulsion, for toleration, persecution, for humanity, barbarity, and for morality, decadence. Uh, I think Van Pristener was right, writing after the French Revolution. I think what's happening in the West at the moment is pretty well like Maoist, and we are in enormous danger of heading down. The atheist, it's not just me as a Christian saying this, the atheist philosopher John Gray recently had an article in Unheard, Saying that he thought what was going on in the West at the moment was far more important than the late 1960s, um, the, the riots in France in 1967 and elsewhere, and all that stemmed from that, he thinks this is more important, and I agree because I think it is ultimately about the abolition of law, and we need to return to God, if you like, in terms of our principles in order to maintain the freedoms and the law on which, uh, or the freedoms on which our laws are based. So let 's leave it there.
0: Uh, well, thank you very much, David. A lot to think on there. So we're going to give people just uh, just 30 seconds or so to, to uh, cogitate about what David said. And then, if you want to text in a question, go for it. I've got my phone here, and uh, I can take any questions. Uh, or if you'd like to um, come up, I think it, it might be might be nice to have someone stand up here, wouldn't it, Dave, next to you, asking you questions? So if you, if we've got a brave soul out there who'd like to come up and ask a question live, that would be great. I know there's a lot to think about, so I'll just give you you know a couple more seconds to. I think through the thing, you can see that the number is on the screen in front of you or on the front of the uh, outlines is a, a number in red and you can just uh, text your messages through. Um, okay, all right, well, I might, I might start off with one, is that all right? Yeah, go ahead, absolutely. Um, what, uh, what about for those who are involved in, in um, lawmaking in Canberra, what, what is the relevance of what you've had to say to them?
1: I think it's hugely relevant. I think it's relevant at a personal level and, and personally where we are at and uh, you know, the, the own boundaries within which we all operate, which we, all of us do. If you don't have personal boundaries, you're, you'll end up insane. So I think that's involved. Uh, as far as I can understand, I mean, I don't really, uh, I'm trying to come to grips with Australian society, but it does appear to me that Canberra is quite an important place, uh, particularly for the law. Um,
0: I think you said the right thing.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, but but I, I, I think that people here need both lawmakers, if you like, uh, people who are influencing, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that there's loads of lobby companies here and everything else. I think people need to think about the broader context of what actually is right and, and what is wrong and what laws do we want our society to be based upon? Um, I mean, it's very interesting... Just looking at exchanges between George Bush and Bill Clinton and everything, and I look at it and I think that was a different era. You know, there, there's a respect for law and a respect for one another, and I just think we've degenerated, and, and uh, you know, I mean, I think in Australia, you guys are absolutely brutal with your politicians, but I, I do think that um, the rule of law is, is crucial, and therefore people who are working here, which is the center, if you like, at least, of of constitutional law and uh, governance law. Uh, I, for me, what I've been trying to say I think is fundamental and basically I'm asking have lawyers got soul and heart okay. or, or is it all about money?
0: Okay. You know, so all right. All right. Well, We've had a, a question come through from one of those policymakers. Um, to what extent should our civil laws reflect and enforce key principles of God's moral law? So there's a very pointed question. Yeah. You want it again or are you right?
1: No, 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 I'm, I'm, no, I'm all right with that. I would, I'm, I'm glad someone's asked it. I hope somebody would, you know, ask it because that's, that's the issue. Now, you have to be really, really careful here. We're not talking about theocracy. What is theocracy? Theocracy is where the religion, if you like, governs the state. And that's an enormous mistake. Some of you here will be Christians. You belong to churches. Most of you will be savvy enough to realize that if your pastors ran the country, it would be an awful mess. So you, you really, we do not want a, a theocracy in that sense. Uh, Islam is a theocracy. There, there's no way around. Um, it, what most people do not understand about Islam is that it is, a politi- it is as much political as it is religious. And that's fair enough. That's, that's, a, that's a one perspective. Um, it's Christianity that introduced into the world this idea of separation of church and state I think that's important so I and and things like the laws of the Old Testament the, the the mosaic civil law that was given to the theocratic state of Israel you don't try and put those in just now but you take principles so for example a principle like the sanctity of life now our society has principles believe it or not they really really do but There are certain things that you know you cannot say.
0: What what do you mean by that, David? What do you
1: mean? Well, for example, and I would agree with this, if I wanted to say that I believed a particular race was inferior, then, um, you know, um, so, well, let's pick on the poor Greeks. You know, if I I was to say, well, I think that the, you know, uh, the Greeks are obviously a backward people, and no Greek should ever be allowed to be a lawyer. That should we make, just make that a law. Um, then, you know, uh, then, then funny, some of you bizarrely are <laughs> nodding. <laughs> um, what a good idea. Um, th- that, you know, being racist is, is wrong, but we've, we've encoded that into law. But there are other things that we're just quite willing to let go by. You know, so in my country at the moment, in, in, back in Scotland and the UK, they're thinking of making it a law uh, that you're not allowed to criticize Islam. But you are allowed to criticize Christianity, and you're thinking, hang on a minute, what's, what's going on here? You know, so um, the whole concept of, of freedom of speech and other things like that, you know, th- there are obviously limits to freedom of speech, but how are those limits determined? So all laws are based on principles. Hmm. If they're based entirely on power, then, as I say, you end up with either a theocracy or you end up with a secular dictatorship. And my view is that's exactly where we will head.
0: Okay. Well, we've got a question, really, um, that's going to draw upon your experience in Scotland, and that is, uh, how will Australia realistically reverse the slide down the slippery slope that the USA and the UK are on, currently on? Well,
1: I, I like alliteration, so law, love, and liberty is, uh, is how I would put it. I think the, 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 the idea of you're in a country ruled by law, so let's say, for example, supposing that Gladys, sorry, I love the way that Australians name their politicians by their first name. Mm. The only way we do it in the UK is Boris, and it's not really a term of endearment. But um, if Gladys says, if I go home and I hear, Gladys has said, you all have to wear a mask. Personally, I don't wanna do it, I don't like it, I can argue against it, but I will obey the law. Mm. So, you know, because there are principles that you do that you obey the law. But I I think um, liberty, I think it's extremely important to defend liberty so um i for example defended the right of um some local muslims in an in, in an area where i was very it was very inverted commerce christian area and there were some refugees who wanted to build a mosque and there were some people objected and i wrote and said no no you've got to give you can't demand liberty for one religion and not for others so you have to so liberty is important yeah. and the people say oh well you're just pro-islam I just said, no i disagree with islam people have to have the right so liberty is really important and I think love is hugely, hugely important. And, and, and I'm, I'm asking, where do all these things come from? And ultimately, I think they come from God. So if you reject the root, you're going to lose the fruit. I think what will happen is you will retain the fruit for a number of years. But eventually, because there's no life, it will go stale. Um, Sorry, are, are you holding up your white thing to ask a question? It's like an auction or... No, okay. No, please go ahead.
0: Um, yeah. Um, please read that uh, read it out. Yeah, Yeah, got yeah, yeah, come up to Come up well. to the oh, mic. Thank you
1: so much. <clears throat> I'm I'm guessing from your attire that you're not a lawyer. Or maybe you are.
2: <laughs> the civil engineer who referred it to the <laughs> right. last time. That's right, yeah. I won't uh, read
1: yeah. it word for word, but yeah. it, uh, one doesn't have to be a follower of Jesus to follow logically through the consequences of total anarchy. Yeah. So, why are so called intellectuals, um, the university educated
2: progressives
1: yes. yeah. in our society, not able to see the downside of thirsting for a lawless state? Yeah, because <laughs> that's such a great question. And uh, I'm just going to be a little bit of a weird answer for those who are Christians because they don't read gay atheists like Douglas Murray, uh, um, who uh, it, it's fascinating in Western culture that the key defenders of principles of liberty and law, and I would even say love, are actually not Christian church leaders at this moment in time. They are people like Doug Murray, um, who is a a gay atheist, but his book, The Madness of Crowds is absolutely superb. I do think the problem, and I think the problem in in, it's, you see it at its most major in the United States. So it's the elite universities, it's the Harvards and the Yales and the Berkeley's that people are being taught this postmodern nonsense that drives people insane so that um, you know, take down a statue of Abraham Lincoln because it has a, a slave beside it and you think it, it was a statue built by emancipated slaves how idiotic can you be well history doesn't matter truth doesn't matter you know it's just it, so the the postmodernism that was taught Late 1960s, early 1970s has really come home to roost, but particularly in three areas. I think it's come home to roost in the academy. I think it's come home to roost in the big corporations who are about as woke as you're going to get uh, uh, and just desperately keen to be woke. And the reason for that is because you can be, what's the name, Jeff Bezos and have your wealth go up 13 million, billion, 13 billion in one day and yet still claim to be progressive. Because you support certain causes uh, it's just it's breathtaking to me that that's the world in which we live but it is the world in which we live and i think that i think money and greed and ignorance and uh, various other things so you have the academy you have the, the the corporations and i also think within the legal establishment there is an increasing tendency to lose sight of what the law is really about and what it's for so i actually heard a former Supreme Court judge in Australia. I was at a meeting. I challenged him on it because I couldn't believe that he said it. And he said, you cannot practice law without prejudice. And your views coming in. And I just thought that's the antithesis of, of what law is. That's the antithesis. And I thought, but you are a Supreme Court judge. And he said, I, take my, I took my politics into court. I was, I was gobsmacked. But I think he was honest. And I think that's what happened. That's like saying that none of us has sinned. isn't it? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course yeah. we do. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, so. David. Yeah. Thank you very much. I've just got time for one more question that's come through, David, and okay. it's, uh, it's coming, going the other direction. Um, in an Australian society which is increasingly secular, how can you um, say that uh, we should adopt laws based on Christian principles?
1: Um, because I'm an intelligent, sentient being and I want the best for everybody. That's how I can say it, and and why I would say it. Rather, I think Um, what I what I would not do is I'd not go to people and say you must do this because the Bible says this because they don't accept the authority of the Bible. But what I'm saying is I'm trying to work out what is right and what is wrong, you know, and that's very difficult. Um, Why do I think it's wrong to kill somebody who's eight? Like my parents, who are. Over eighty, they've got lots of, you know, illnesses and all the rest of it. They're a burden on society. If you want to think of it in terms of economic, which I think is absolutely appalling. So, in a in a in a utilitarian society, you might just say, well, let's get rid of them. I can say, well, what about handicapped people? Let's get rid of them. What about a baby who's going to be born Downs? Let's abort them. So why would I, how, on what basis do we make our principles? And I'm saying, well, I make, I I want laws to be made on foundational, eternal principles of justice, of, of everything else. Now, the reason we need lawyers is we have to work out how that actually works out in practice. You know, the Bible, for example, doesn't tell you what the speed limit should be. It doesn't tell you what the tax rate should be and it doesn't tell you that Australia should immediately come back into the British Empire and (laughs) like America and then the world would be saved. I mean, there are people who are mad enough to believe that. It doesn't say a thing about Scottish independence. It doesn't tell you about wearing face masks, but it does give you general principles that the law should be based on. If you do not believe in an absolute law, then the, the consequences of that are you're going to end up making humans and it will be wealthy humans and powerful humans and violent humans, you're going to make them the arbiters of law. Um, I'm not saying it's easy, uh, and, and I'm, not, I'm absolutely not. Please, I hope people don't misunderstand. I'm absolutely not arguing for, um, you know, let, let me become maybe not archbishop. Yeah, why not? Let me become Archbishop of Sydney, Why you know, become Archbishop of Sydney, and then I'll, I'll tell the government what to do. No. No, you don't want the church telling the government what to do. But you do want the basic principles of humanity being taught, and you don't want them being taught by postmodern professors of sociology who haven't a clue about what right and wrong is, and who have such a disregard for the law that they themselves, I've, I've met this many times, are inherently messed up. And that's why you get people like Jonathan Haidt. Um, the, the key social commentators in our culture, in my view, in the Western culture, and also, I would have to say in Chinese culture, in Hong Kong, for example, are often um, either atheists who appreciate Christianity and what Christianity has brought, even though they don't believe, or they are Christians who thought through the implications of what their faith means. And that's what I want to, to challenge each of us to do. Okay. Well,
0: thank you. We're, we're just about out of time. So please um, please join with me in thanking David for sharing his heart.
1: Yeah. Can, Look, can I, can, can I say something? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm actually deadly serious in what I say, but I realize it's utterly ridiculous to try and cover us a topic like this within this space of time. And lots of people may have questions and ideas. I hope my, my job, I am a, oh, I say flea's the wrong word. I, I, feel, I feel that I want to be a pebble in someone's shoe to provoke people to, to think about stuff. And if you ever, you know, if you want to write contact, if you want to invite me up to Canberra again, I'm, I actually, you know, this... They're quite snobby in Sydney about places like Brisbane and Canberra, but I, I actually like Canberra. But don't, don't tell anyone. Okay. <laughs> uh, and and you know I'd love I'd, I'd love to come back. And, but these are really 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 important issues, and um, I do appreciate uh, what you guys are doing.
0: Good. Thank you so much, David. Oh, you. yes, please sir, thank him again for it. Thank you. Uh, Well, you you might like to take uh, David up on his his offer of um, uh, answering questions further, discussing further. The way to do that, there's a little slip of paper uh, on your seats uh, and you can just fill that in and leave it there. And that's also a way that if you haven't been able to join in via Zoom uh, for our meetings over the last uh, few months, you can start doing that from next week. Philip Jensen is going to be speaking to us um, uh, from uh, uh, a letter to the small church in Corinth. It's going to be a fascinating talk. So please pop your details down there and then say, I'd like to get in contact. If you'd like to, you know, read the Bible with someone from City Bible Forum, we can organize that as well. So look, thank you so much for being uh, with us today. See you next time.